Let's go ahead and open up with prayer. If y'all could just agree with me, Lord, I thank you for speaking through me tonight. Your words of life, your truth, as living seeds of truth sown out into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, that even now the Holy Spirit is moving upon every one of us. I thank you, Lord, to give us good soil and help us to lock in and focus and give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus tonight, that our minds won't be distracted, we'll be in tune with you. And these seeds of truth will be sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Lord, I thank you for it. I thank you for everything accomplished and through it. Your will to be done. That even now the winds of your spirit carrying this out among the nations. I thank you, Lord, it's going to go forth and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do as your word will not return void. And the birds of the air try to steal the seed. We bind up anything in Jesus' name that would try to hinder this word in any way tonight. You will back off right now. But I thank you, Lord, that this is going to accomplish everything in every life that your will to be done. We believe it. We expect it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So the personal work of the Holy Spirit. If I was to ask you right now, where is the Father right now? He's in heaven. If I was to ask you where the Son is, he's at the right hand of the Father. When Jesus began his ministry, in many ways, he walked the earth as a prophet, kind of in the order of like an Elijah type of prophet because of the signs and wonders. But he's moved into his priestly role. And he did that toward the latter end of his ministry. He began to really uh, pray earnestly and instituting Holy Communion. He spoke a blessing, he ascended, and now he's what? Ever living to make intercession. So he's our great high priest in the order of like a Melchizedek priesthood, Jew and Gentile. But when Jesus comes again one day, he's coming what? As the king. You know, he'll come as the son of David to sit on the throne of David, fulfilling Gabriel's prophecy to Mary, and he'll reign for a thousand years. Ultimately, at the end of the thousand years, there'll be a final purge, and then what? The father will come down here the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Why in the world, this is just something to think about, what is God's love for the earth and the human race? That he would go to all this trouble. Why, instead of us going there, in the long run, it's going to be back here again. He's going to dwell on the earth forever. But right now, we're in a time where the Holy Spirit is the one moving in our lives and then one day Jesus is coming Jesus will physically be on the earth and then at the very end the father will come but right now we're at the time the Holy Spirit is here and so hear what I'm saying tonight what I'm telling you is so important because the Holy Spirit is the best friend you got on this earth I don't think any of us really realize and a lot of times I start talking about the Holy Spirit I've been surprised how many people sincerely believe that he's just a bird or some kind of a, a thing. They don't realize the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not power or he's not this. He's not tongues. He, he's a person, but he will cause the power of God to be on open display. He causes the gifts to be in operation, but he is a person. And we need, we need to get to know the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit also... He doesn't want too much of a focused attention on himself because he's come to glorify Christ. But we need to get to know the Holy Spirit and have a relationship with him 
Because the Bible implies that those that are sons of God, implying maturity, are led by the Spirit of God. And in the Greek, it means continually led. So for us to be brought to maturity, we have to get to know the Holy Spirit and learn to be led by Him continually. But He's come to glorify Christ, not Himself. So when he's moving, he's not going to call all the attention on himself. It's all about the Holy Spirit. Just talk about him all the time. No, he doesn't like that. He'll kind of back off. He's come to get everybody's attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. And interesting enough, whenever you really get your eyes on Jesus and fall in love with him and get to know him, he's going to direct you what? To the Father. And even though we can talk with the Holy Spirit and have fellowship with him, ask him a question and He'll speak to us, and there's a relationship there with the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught us to pray our Father in heaven in Jesus' name. But many times the answer comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me just give you some things about the Holy Spirit. God's made us in the image of God, meaning we're body, soul, and spirit. You're three, but you're one. God is three, but one. He's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus was on the earth and was going to be baptized, the, he, the Father spoke from heaven. Remember that? This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came on Jesus like a dove. Uh, let me just tell you how that probably actually should be read. I don't think people saw a bird. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist was the only one that saw this. A lot of people have read this wrong. We'll go back and reread it. The Holy Spirit came on Jesus, I believe, gently, in bodily form, but like the dove would come on. You know how a dove is gentle? The Holy Spirit settled on Jesus gently like a dove, gently, but in bodily form, I don't think it was the form of a bird per se, but bodily form. Go back and reread it for yourself. It's not a big deal. Just, just if you reread it the way I just said it, I think you might see some things you didn't before. But the Holy Spirit came on Jesus, what, to clothe him with power. And then he goes off into the wilderness, led by the Spirit, mind you, to face the devil and have to fast and go through all that warfare. But when he got on the other side of it, he came back in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we, here's, here's what people need to understand. When we accept Jesus as our Savior and we're born again, the Holy Spirit will come to live inside of us. That's the new birth. There's all these different terms about a circumcised heart and, and the candle of the Lord lit and all these different terms you read about in the scriptures about how the word will be written on your heart and all of that. But in actual fact, all of that is basically describing in different ways the Holy Spirit entering you. Once he walks in, you'll never be the same. The seed of God now is in you. And you'll be different. You ought to read 1 John 3, 7 through 9. If the seed of God is in you, you cannot continue to live a life of sin because God's seed is in you. How many knows that when you got saved, just like me, you weren't perfect and you probably still struggle with some things, but, but the Holy Spirit would make you miserable in your sin. How many knows what I'm talking about? And you cannot continue a life of sin. The Holy Spirit will, will work on you and sanctify. And you know, thankfully, thank God, the Holy Spirit is so patient with us. As everybody listening, the sound of my voice knows 
that the Holy Spirit has been unbelievably patient with us since we've been saved. We've, we have stumbled and fell in many ways. We've made a lot of mistakes. We've blown it many times. The Holy Spirit has never left us. He's always stayed faithful to us. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then the Bible says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve him by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I've heard different descriptive terms about this, this seal. But you know, when my wife and I got married, whenever we were engaged to be married, you know, I gave her a ring and it was a promise. It was an engagement. But ultimately on our wedding day, we exchanged vows and rings and it was sealed. It was done. And I think that the seal of God is this. It's kind of like a, an engagement ring that, that Jesus is coming, right? He's, he's coming he says, but until I get here, I'm going to send the comforter and he'll be with you. I will not leave you as an orphan. You're not going to be wandering around this world alone. It's better that I go. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. I'll send you the comforter. He'll lead you into all truth and teach you everything that I've ever tried to tell you that you didn't really understand. He'll help you understand it. He'll even show you the future, show you things to come. He'll lead you. It's better that I go. And so Jesus, when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit, and it's kind of like an engagement ring, and he puts it on it. The Holy Spirit comes in us, and he says, don't worry, I've gone to prepare a place for you, but I've given you a Holy Spirit as a promise because I'm coming back for you. And then we'll go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Does that make sense? And the Holy Spirit also, how many of you guys have ever done any type of like canning products? You know what I'm talking about? Man, those things will last for a long time. Why? Because you what, get them to a certain temperature or whatever and you get it just right and then what, you seal it. Isn't that something? The Holy Spirit is the seal. God comes inside of us and he seals us off. That in, you know, God doesn't make hot house plants, does he? That we're gonna live in some kind of a uh, spiritual greenhouse like a bubble where nothing bad ever happens. A lot of times it seems like the Lord will save us, seal us by the Spirit, and then plant us in a desert and say, now you start bearing fruit and start making a difference around you. But by the Holy Spirit, we can. We can. So the Holy Spirit is the one who lives inside of us now, there's another aspect of the Holy Spirit when you begin to really move into the supernatural realm of Christianity. Because once you're born again, you're still in the outer court. You know, you, everything's by natural sunlight. It's all a focus on the blood and the water. You've been saved and water baptized. And, but when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, everything starts changing there. How many knows what I'm talking about? And the Bible says about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, well, first off, when you get saved, you're baptized into the body of Christ. You're born again, the Holy Spirit's in you. But here's the second work of grace. The baptism in the Holy Ghost is where Jesus himself will baptize you into the Holy Spirit. And there is a real difference after that. There is a clothing of power. 
where before the Holy Spirit lived inside of you, now with the baptism in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit fills you up to overflowing and there's a clothing of power from on high. That's the difference. And we see that when Jesus raised from the dead, people saw him and they believed. And what does it say? It says he breathed on them, <sighs> received the Holy Spirit. You know what that was? That was their new birth. But he said, just wait in Jerusalem until what? You're clothed with power. It, it was many stories like this. What about when Samaria heard the gospel? Philip went there, preached signs and wonders. People believed and were baptized, but what they sent for Peter and John, why? Because when Peter and John came, they were going to lay hands on them, and then they were going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. It was so impressive what Simon the sorcerer saw when Peter and John laid hands on people. It doesn't say if they fell on the ground, they spoke in tongues, whatever, but he saw visibly with his eyes, he saw demonstrations of the Spirit's power that so impressed him that in his condition, he just got saved. He said, I'll give you money to give me that power. Of course, that ticked off Peter, and we know the story. But nonetheless, he saw something. It went from just Philip's ministry of a new birth now to a whole different aspect of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there is a clothing of power that comes upon us that now we begin to move into the supernatural. There should be tongues now. Tongues are vitally important because we don't always know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit will pray through us in tongues. We build up, Jude said, Jude 20, our most holy faith, praying in tongues. I'll get back to tongues at the end of the message, but it's important. We need it. It's our prayer language. And a lot of people that are not spirit-filled don't understand the difference in this, but there's a personal prayer language. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. Okay, there's a speaking in tongues that's yours, that you walk in all the time. I mean, that's there. You need it. You need to use it daily, to be honest. But then there's something else altogether different, which is a gift in 1 Corinthians 12 of giving a message in tongues to the church, which will require an interpretation or nobody's going to know what it was. And so that gift is not the same exact thing. They're all tongues, but the Bible talks about diverse tongues. There's different tongues. And times that God's used me to give a message in tongues, it's interesting because my prayer language will totally change. It will be something completely different sounding than my normal everyday speaking in tongues. It'll be a message. It'll have a beginning and an ending, and then there's got to be an interpretation. And I'm thankful for the gifts of the Spirit because there's been times that even my wife and I at home are praying together, and next thing I know, God will give a message in tongues and interpretation, and it can really be helpful. I remember not that long ago, actually. I, I wrote it all down so I wouldn't forget it. God gave the longest message in tongues. I don't know if you remember this. My wife's back there. But I mean this long message in tongues, the long interpretation. I went through and started writing this down, and it answers so many of my questions. So we need these gifts. They're important. And the gifts of the Spirit, which I'll get to here in a minute, we need all these gifts in the church. It's interesting that if you accept the Lord and you're born again, there's Romans chapter 12 gives a list of gifts. And if you read those, it has things to do with like administration. Teaching there is not the fivefold ministry, but just 
being able to teach in the local church or, or things like exhorting, encouraging people or serving or contributing to the needs of others. It's interesting, but I believe personally that's gifts from the father that he gives you when you get saved as his child that now there's certain, there's one of them was a gift of mercy. How many knows that, that there needs to be this one person that'll never give up on you? <laughs> That's the gift of mercy. I, I mean, there's sometimes that people burn every bridge you could imagine, but there's this one person that's got this gift of mercy. It's like, well, let's give them one more chance. And everybody else is like, no, you know, and this one person. But that's the gift of mercy. So there, there's gifts that come when you accept the Lord. Then there's the gifts of the Son. Ephesians 4.11. He gave some to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. And I know you're familiar with all this, but these are the gifts of Jesus Christ to his church. For what? The building up, the equipping of the saints. Our perfection, our maturity. Apostles, they kind of break through into new territory, plant things. Evangelists are not people. This is a peeve, okay? An evangelist is not somebody that travels from church to church. That's an itinerant preacher. An evangelist is somebody that goes where the lost are and get people saved. If you're not doing that, I love you, but you're not an evangelist, so change your name. You're, I mean, you have a gift. Use that. But quit calling yourself an evangelist. You're preaching to Christians every week. All right? And then, there's, and then there's also pastors, shepherds, teachers. And we need teachers. And there's also uh, prophets and true prophets. There are some powerful prophets out there. There's people in my life, you know, Bert John Davis, I've shared with him some things. And, and uh, we've, all, we've all seen the good, bad, and the ugly in this realm, right? And so but I shared with him some things. And uh, he told me, he said, there's two people that's very prophetic in my life. It's, they're just amazing. And he said, wow, Scott, you've got some prophets and seers in your life. And they are. I, I mean, they're spot on. One of them is Brother Benny, and y'all know him. But I, I love the true prophetic. I do because we need it. And I have been in awe sometimes at what true prophetic people see and tell me and how helpful it. I mean, I've been seeking God and... and God will speak to me things, and I hear from him for myself, but there's times that they bring either some kind of a, a confirmation or they'll open up a line of understanding I didn't have, and they'll give me a word, and it's just so powerful. And when it's really of God, it's such a blessing, and we need it. So there's people that are prophetic, and they, they will see. And so the difference between a seer and a prophet, they're really the same thing, but a seer a lot of times will see a lot of visions, dreams, things like that, but a prophet a lot of times will just hear and then say what they hear. You see the difference? Similar, but a little, little bit different. But we need these, the fivefold ministry, okay? And then the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you move into the supernatural realm. So you're leaving the outer court now. How many want to leave the outer court? I don't want to be saved for 20, 30 years and just talking about the blood of Jesus that saved me alone. I, I appreciate and I talk about that a lot, but I want to go beyond just a new birth experience. I want to go beyond that and go into the deeper things of God. You know, I want to have the meat of the word and I want to be able to be used of God and get in the deeper things of the spirit. And, and so you leave the outer court when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and you move into the holy place. 
In the holy place there, you have the bread, the fruit of the vine. It's like a fellowship with God, communion in the light of the menorah. That's revelation. And then the heart worship is the incense. But how many can say that God has sometimes given you some revelation? I mean, something, maybe you were praying or reading the Bible, and God really showed you something you had never seen before, and it just blew your mind. Or maybe God really spoke to you something, but there was revelation that you got from the Lord directly. Many of us can say that. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to move into that supernatural realm. The gifts of the Spirit in operation. This is what it said in Mark uh, 16. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is referred to here by Jesus. He says this. He says, these signs will follow them that believe. And it says that they will speak in new tongues. But then it says, they will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And they will drive out demons in my name. And they'll be protected. Because back then, people that weren't in cars, they walked everywhere. And if there was a snake bite, you needed to be protected from the elements, from things like that, and drink deadly poison. That's how people killed people a lot of times. They would try to slip poison in their drink. And he was saying that you would be supernaturally protected. Isn't that awesome? But I, I love that, that Jesus Christ himself said, these signs will follow them that believe they will speak in new tongues and they will see healings and deliverances through them. That begins to happen when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost. There was a man that's a, a Baptist brother, Don Dickerman, and he has a powerful deliverance ministry. And I remember he was telling us, I was in a meeting with him, that he had ministered for years in prisons. This was many years ago. And he said that as he ministered in prisons, he was so frustrated because he said the lack of fruit that remained People would come in, they would feel bad for their mistakes and they would accept Christ and, and they would come down to give their life to him and go out and then they'd fall back into the same old stuff and then they would come back in. It was a revolving door or he'd hear about him out there, you know, struggling and he was frustrated. He was crying out to the Lord. He said, Lord, there has got to be something more to this because I am so fed up with just seeing the same junk and he had, he had some kind of a vision or something of this big golden bowl that had oil in it. And God began to speak to him about the oil. And the Lord showed him, somebody had told him, God's going to anoint you. And this is the same thing. I mean, people can argue the words, but he was baptized in the Holy Ghost. Basically, he was anointed. And once the Holy Spirit came upon him in power, he began to operate in the supernatural. And one of the earlier things that happened to him was, was he was praying for people and he saw a vision of this guy and it looked like this black little, it was a spiritual thing. This rat was there on him and was gnawing at him. And he told him, he said, I see this on you. And it turns out the guy had a major health problem on that part of his body. And he commanded that thing to leave and it ran off and the God supernaturally healed that man. It was a deliverance slash healing. And then as Don began to understand, wait a second, I can deal with any type of legalities here with legal ground because they've opened the door to the devil. Many of them, he realized, are in bondage to demon powers in their life of addiction and other things. And so he began to minister 
about asking forgiveness for these things and being set free from them so that when you left there, you weren't going to continue in bondage any longer. And all of a sudden, he said he began to see a radical change. People were not only getting saved, but they were getting set free. They were getting on fire for God, and they would leave out of there, and their life was a life of victory. But how did that come? The power of the Holy Ghost. And I know we've all experienced that here in River of Life. I could go back in my mind to pretty much everybody here for the most part. There was a time when you came in and you were baptized in the Holy Ghost, hit by the power of God. Some of you fell under the power and began to speak in tongues. And even here recently with the young people that came from Kansas City. And so they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we need that. We need that clothing of power. And I'm going to tell you, I have a heart for this because I believe that there's certain things that the devil's been trying to steal from the body of Christ for the last couple of decades. And one of them is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And people won't talk about it and they won't have altar calls for it and pray for it anymore. And so people, it's not necessarily their fault, but if you're not hearing sermons you need to hear, and you're not in powerful meetings where the Holy Spirit can touch you, and you're not receiving in the altar what you need to receive, it's not necessarily your fault, but you're living in a realm of shallow Christianity in a place of immaturity that God never intended. But it's, it's the, the church's fault that aren't allowing these things. So let me give you a couple things as we're breaking into a new day. We all need to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And when I come in tonight, I just pray about the services and then I come in faith that God's going to move and touch people. And there's through the years, God himself has stepped down and healed people and delivered people and baptized the Holy Spirit, you know, people baptized in the Spirit and all these different things. It's been amazing, but it really has very little to do with man. It has to do with just cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Because when he comes in, he begins to move. We just need to cooperate with what he's doing. So even in the worship, I don't try to have too much of an agenda. Sometimes I've tried to practice songs with the worship team, and then we end up doing all these other songs that we hadn't practiced, sometimes hadn't played in a while. And, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit is just saying, I just want to keep you humble and just go with it. Just flow with me. I don't know. But it's, the point is, is that we don't really have too much of an agenda. You know, we don't have it all planned out. I have a sermon, but that's pretty much it. I show up and just say, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do tonight. We take communion to make sure our lives are under the blood and just ask him to come. And the Holy Spirit will move in the worship. You ever notice he really moves during the worship? You begin to have unhindered, unstructured worship, heart worship, and the Holy Spirit will really move. And instead of coming up and kind of killing the flow, like most places do, how many have seen this over and over? The worship will come, the Holy Spirit will just begin to move, and then somebody will get up and crack a joke and start telling announcements. 
It's like going, you got your cruise control on going 70 miles an hour and then somebody just slamming on the brakes. It's like, this kills the move of God. And they do it every week. And so uh, if people would learn to just go with the flow of the Holy Spirit in a service, you'd be shocked how many more testimonies and just making room for it. I remember Randy, Randy Clark, I, I could tell so many different stories, but Randy Clark was part of this church and, and he had took a church years ago. This was a long time ago, I think in the 80s. And he said that the people there had never really believed in or prayed for healing. And God began to convict him as the pastor about it. He's like, how are we supposed to ever see anybody healed if we don't even just anoint them with oil and pray for them like the Bible said? Maybe if we just start doing that, we'll actually start seeing some things happen. Well, they started doing that and they started seeing some people healed. It's just beginning to, to believe the word and just step out in faith and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. When God gave us you remember i've talked so much about the menorah and i talked about it being a tr the god's family tree it's what the word and the spirit when jesus look god has given us his word and his spirit they go together the holy spirit is always going to back up the word he's going to confirm the word he's going to work with the word but if you start getting outside of the word and start getting weird the holy spirit will start leaving and there'll be a strange spirit coming you see but God wants us to believe his word and begin to step out and believe and expect that things in his word are going to happen. But it happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit enters us at salvation. He clothes us with power at the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And really what I wanted to say to you guys today, and I don't have too much more to cover, just that the fellowship. So 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the last thing, Paul said to the church in Corinth, think about that. The very last thing he said to them, and this was a troubled church. I mean, I'm sure he thought to himself, I better make sure I tell him everything I need to tell this church, you know. But he wanted to make sure and tell them the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and what the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Fellowship. I want people to really think about this because this is one of those things that you could read right over and keep going and never really grasp the fullness of what Paul's saying here. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is the word koinonia, which we see all through the word of God. Koinonia means this. It means like his presence. It means obviously his fellowship. It means sharing together, participating with, it means like an intimacy. It means a friendship, but it also means a comradeship. How many knows the Holy Spirit is with us in battle? But this fellowship, is everybody really stopping to think about the word fellowship for a moment? God wants us to get to know the Holy Spirit. That we speak to him, he speaks to us, and he leads us. There's been so many times the Holy Spirit maybe gave me a nudge and then when I didn't listen to the nudge, I've always wished I would have listened to the nudge. We need to learn that he's not going to beat you over the head. He's just going to speak to you gently. And sometimes it's just those little nudges. You just don't quite feel right about something. But we need his fellowship and prayer. He's the one that will teach you the word. 
excuse me, he's the one <coughs> that will lead you into truth. We need his help. And the Holy Spirit, in Nehemiah 9.20, we see the Holy Spirit instructs us. In Psalm 32.8, we see the Holy Spirit teaches us. In John 16.13, he leads us into truth. In Luke 4.18, Acts 10.38, he anoints us. And not only do we need his fellowship, the Holy Spirit is the one that will begin to give us some deep revelation. Let me show you. In 1 Corinthians 2.10, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man that's in him? So you can be sitting there today and you look like you're listening to me, which I'm sure you are, and you've got your notes, but you could be thinking about the burger you're about to eat after church. Nobody's going to know that except, except you. The, your, the spirit within you knows that you're thinking about that bacon burger. All right, so <laughs> that's not the best example, but it does make the point. And so it's saying here that the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God and he knows what is on God's heart, God's mind, and to reveal it to you, okay? So outwardly, we don't really know what's going on in people, but that person within them, their spirit knows. And he's saying here that how are you gonna know the deep things of God or know God's heart or any revelation except by the spirit? Even so, it says, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually, really, that should say, discerned. So how many knows that you can sit here and get revelation from God, and, I mean, you really understand it, God showed you something, and you go to share it with somebody that's not a believer, and they just don't get it. You know, and there can be people that are brilliant in the natural there's college professors out there that are brilliant in their intellect, yet when it comes to the Bible and the things of God, they don't have a clue. In fact, they're an enemy to truth sometimes. I mean, they cannot understand. There's scientists out there, high IQ, understand some intelligent things, but when it comes to the things of God, they don't have a clue. Foolish. To them, it seems foolish, yet it's wiser than they've ever been in their lives, but they can't get it because it's only revealed by the Holy Spirit. That's why sometimes you can get even little children by the Spirit of God can say some of the most profound things. Yet you get people that are older and, and have wisdom of the world and they can't even understand what that little child understands. It's by the Spirit. So I'll give you some things about the Holy Spirit, a personal study on the Holy Spirit, John 14 through 16. These are all scriptures here in the notes, but I encourage you to read John 14, 15, and 16. Read Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 2, Acts chapter 2. 
the Holy Spirit's power. Read about Matthew 3.11. Jesus said, as for me, I baptize with water for repentance, but the one, who, or John said, rather, the one who's coming after me is mightier than I. I'm not fit to undo his sandals. He will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire. In Luke 24, 49, do some study for yourself. Take these notes home, read over it, really meditate on it. But we need to get to know the Holy Spirit. And if you say, you know, pastor, I've heard about the Holy Spirit. To be honest, I've never really gotten to know him. Your prayer life will go deeper than you could ever imagine once you get to know the Holy Spirit. In Luke 24, 49, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city till you're clothed with power. Acts 1, 8, you'll receive the power, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you'll be my witnesses. So there's that clothing of power. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to be overcomers. And let me just give you a few more things. As we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, I've already kind of gone through a lot of this, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit, number one are the vocal gifts. I've taught a lot on it, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. Prophecy is just inspired speech. Revelation, though, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits. I have found that words of knowledge a lot of times will work connected to the gift of healing. Because somebody will give a word and say, God's healing somebody from this, and then healing will come. In the same way, discerning of spirits many times will be at work with deliverance. Because the discerning of spirit gift will reveal a spirit that needs to go. And once it's revealed and driven, then it can be driven out. So you see how these things work together? The revelation combined with power. But here's the last couple things, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, a lot of times people are, they, they read this and they think to themselves, I need to really work on this. Galatians 5.22, let's read it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions in desires, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. But here's the thing. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is God's grace. What I mean by that is this. It's hard to work up these things. You can try to do it, but you're trying to do it in the flesh. How many people do this all the time? Well, I'm going to work on my patience. I'm going to work on this. The truth is, pray about it. And then just yield to the Holy Spirit doing it through you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The more we strive in our flesh, the harder it seems to be. But when we learn to yield to the Holy Spirit, it becomes easier. The Holy Spirit is the one that causes these things to begin to manifest in our lives, okay? It's God's grace. God's grace is the Holy Spirit in us giving us the ability to do things that we could not do. To be loving when the world would be hateful. To be joyful even through trials. To be patient with people that nobody would be. But it's God's grace in us, working in us, to cause us to be able to... Listen, God's grace by the Holy Spirit in us can help us to praise God even through difficulties. 
to have joy even through extremely difficult times, to love the unlovable, to walk in forgiveness, grace to live a righteous life, grace to have faith. Some people say, well, how did you have faith through that? I don't know. The Holy Spirit helped me to have faith through that. It's not, it's not our flesh. Remember this because this is one of those little things that have huge implications. The more we try with our flesh, the more we're going to not be able to do it. That's why Paul said, the things that I want to do, I find myself not doing. The things that I, I do want to do, I can't, but the things I don't want to do, I find myself struggling with. Why? Because he was wrestling in the flesh. The more that we simply just die to ourselves and humbly say, Holy Spirit, you do it through me, the more his grace, will, his power will work in us. And we can do what we couldn't do. And faith is so important. I just had this conversation with somebody this week. A lot of times here in River of Life, and this made me think about it, so I wanted to share it. We've always been a presence church, a revival church, a move of God church. And because of that, the presence of God is so real. But when people leave out of here, if you're not careful, you can be focused too much on feelings. You know, I feel this, I don't feel that. You know, like in prayer or something. I feel, it feels good, I feel God's presence. <coughs> Other times you may not feel anything and so you feel like, well, it wasn't a good time because I didn't feel this. I didn't. You got to be careful with that. We, we don't live by our feelings. We live by faith. So what happens is this. You come in Jesus' name and through his blood. The Bible says we have access to the throne of grace by the blood of Jesus. And we enter by what? Faith. Then once we enter and we begin to pray in faith, then the feelings will start coming in. You'll feel God's presence and power. But you don't get the cart before the horse and start focusing on the way you feel. Same thing with these services. Most services may start out where, you know, you don't really feel anything. But it's like you're not here based just on that. Well, I don't feel anything. I guess God's not going to do anything or something silly like that. You see what I'm saying? It, that would mess everything up. You come in faith saying, Lord, I expect you to come. And I expect the move of God tonight. And then the power and presence will come. And then miracles will break forth. But it starts in faith. So don't base everything on how you feel. There's times that some great miracles have happened I've seen, and I didn't feel anything. There's other times I really felt the power of God, and the person didn't get their breakthrough for whatever reason. Feelings. I remember this story David Hogan told. I'll never forget this. The first time he saw somebody raised from the dead on the mission field. He said that he went to this person's house. He didn't really realize what he was getting into. But he got there and they had a dead son and they were expecting him to pray for this child to be raised from the dead. And I mean, he's never seen this before. And he said, I'll tell you what I didn't have. He said, I didn't have a bunch of people with me praying in tongues. I didn't have a powerful prayer uh, church service going on right then. I didn't have worship music going. I was in somebody's house. What I did have 
he said there was a black magic warlock that was there. And he said there was somebody else, another of Satan's servants there. And they were just kind of mumbling under their breath their little chants. He said, I didn't feel anything. But I'm expected to pray. And he said, this family was not going to believe in Jesus Christ unless God did something. And these people were not have any type of biblical background. In fact, they were looking to the shamans and the witch doctors and such. So he's in there praying. He said, I prayed in English. He said, I prayed in Spanish. He said, I prayed in Indian. He said, I prayed in tongues. He said, I didn't feel anything. And he said, look up, and there's those witch doctors just glaring at him, you know, chanting away. He said, man, he's in there just praying. He said, next thing he knows, out of nowhere, not feeling anything, mind you. Everybody say, no feelings. Out of nowhere, he said, it did this. This shirt, it shocked him. That kid's shirt just moved like that. Sure enough, that heart started beating, and that boy came back to life. But focus on what I'm saying here. He said, I, I was not in a church service, and I didn't feel anything. He said, I had to go with just pure faith. And God showed up to that boy. Well, when the boy was raised from the dead, what are the witch doctors going to say? They ain't got nothing to say. Their God didn't do nothing. Their God did not show up. That boy was dead when they were praying, right? What are they going to say now? And he said, the family began to believe in Jesus Christ. The boy coming back to life and walking around, you know, that had an impact on the village. And they began to believe in Jesus. But listen to what I'm saying. Not feeling anything. We need to be careful about that feelings business because if we're not careful, we could be like, well, we don't feel anything, so we don't, we're not going to pray for anybody. We're not going to believe for anything. Be careful with that. Because I've had a lot of times where I just had to strictly go by faith. And then God would show up. All right, so the last thing I would say is tongues, the power of tongues. In the same way the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, Romans 8, 26. (coughs) For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then Jude one twenty or Jude 20, it's one chapter. But beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. How many knows tongues are important? Oh, we desperately need tongues. But again, this comes by the Holy Spirit, his power in, at work in our lives that we cannot, we cannot pray in tongues except the Holy Spirit enable us to do it. We are more dependent on the Holy Spirit than you and I could ever imagine. Please hear me tonight. We are utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit to help empower us to live a righteous life. We are utterly dependent on him to help the fruit of the Spirit come forth in our life we are totally dependent on him to be able to be an effective witness for jesus christ we desperately need his power working through us or we're not going to be any different than the world the only real difference in us 
I understand the blood of Jesus and salvation, but the only real difference in us is the spirit living in us compared to the lost person next to us. That's really the only difference. The blood of Jesus washes away our sins. We enter a covenant. But what makes us different human beings is the spirit of God in us. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit, we would be no different than the world. And so I hope all of us at least take away from this sermon a real love and appreciation for the Holy Spirit and a desire to get to know him as a person. Because so many people think of of, uh, just an energy or a power or something. He's much more than that. And so the Bible says as we pray in tongues that we utter mysteries. You know how much revelation has come to me as I pray in the Spirit excuse me as I pray in tongues God gives revelation also we pray the perfect will of God and as we pray in tongues there's self-edification and finally as I already read in Jude 20 we build up our most holy faith and praying in tongues gives us strength for the battle the Holy Spirit is the one that we may live in a desert all around us but the Holy Spirit can make your life a spiritual oasis in the midst of a desert. I have felt that way many times with this particular church and ministry. I have felt around us for many years now it's been kind of a desert. Yet you come in here and it's a river. It has nothing to do with man. I couldn't do that if my life depended on it. But it's the Holy Spirit doing it. But see, a group of people come together that are hungry and are praying and they make God's house a house of prayer and what happens? The presence comes and God makes it an oasis. So I'm going to pray and let's go ahead and just go to a screen and I want us to pray tonight. But the Lord told me coming in, I'm, excuse me, I'm